0: Hello everybody and welcome. This is the Midnight McBride show, show number 69. And I've got a very special lady in the studio with me and the show is called Terminal Velocity. And the reason for that is my special guest, Samantha Wilson, was diagnosed with a terminal illness many years ago and she's still here. And Samantha's now becoming an author and she's also the founder of a training academy, which we'll get to as yeah. well. Hello, Samantha.
1: Thank you very much for inviting me on the show, Patrick.
0: You're very welcome. And we'll start off with how we know each other. Yeah. And a little funny story as well, which I told you at the start of you the did. show. did. yeah. That was very funny. So, you're a mutual friend through Donna Webb.
1: I am yes we're good friends she's a lovely lady yeah and um, she was the lady that kindly um, got me in contact with yourself and yes. to come on the show
0: and the funny story is Donna by the way I think very highly of Donna I think she's a beautiful woman she's been a volunteer in numerous charities and support groups for the last 30 years giving up her time it's all voluntary you know yeah. and she's just a an amazing human being, so I'm very, very privileged to know Donna. I think she's amazing.
1: She's a lovely lady, and we met, um, fully enough folks, about um, three years ago. We were on a course together, and I was a bit nervous, and she, you know, made me feel at ease, yeah. and ever since then, we've just become such good friends, and she knew um, that I was writing a book, and she knew... Um, I was um, quite anxious about it and she's been so supportive and put me at ease and she's such an inspiring lady because she's always there to help everyone else. Yeah. So it was, I was very lucky to have met her that day three years ago, definitely.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the funny story is that Donna said that she had a friend. Yes. uh, A Samantha Wilson Mm -hmm. to come on the show and that she's recently become Becoming an author, and she was a very inspiring, amazing lady. I thought, yay. So I then searched on Facebook for Samantha Wilson. Yeah. And I found Samantha Wilson that had some connections with people that I knew. And she was an author. And I thought, okay. Two months in I'd befriended her, tried to get her on the show realised she lived in Portugal I think it is and she'd written a book about the Camino Santiago, the Camino Trail
1: Fascinating
0: and it was the wrong Samantha Wilson and after a (laughs) while I think Donna said to me have you been in touch with Samantha and I went yeah 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 we're friends now and she said I don't think you have I would mean, know definitely have <laughs> and um, completely the wrong lady who knew there'd be two of you that, I know because we had mutual connections as well with this other Samantha Wilson so wow
1: how bizarre how bizarre is that yeah well finally there was contact because Donna mentioned that you were going to be contacting me yeah. and she Patrick contacted you yet? Yeah, and I'm like like about a month and a half down the line, as Patrick I think, contacted you at
0: I no. think she must have just thought I was a bullshitter. I've, <laughs> <laughs> I've been going, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I'm friends with some other lady now as well, but there we go. Your story, we're going to talk about Samantha.
1: Yes.
0: Very inspirational and quite unusual
1: mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. And
0: there's lots of it that I want to, parts of this story that I think it's important we make sure we include in this uh, this journey, but... Predominantly, and um, we'll touch on it briefly before we get into it, but it's, you were diagnosed with a terminal illness many years ago and, and you're here.
1: Yes. And you
0: weren't given long to live either.
1: That's correct, yeah. it wasn't. Yes.
0: Yeah. And that's why the show, I mean, I like to have a little bit of a catchy title and so I'm in Terminal Velocity. Um, yeah. Which, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a little bit of fun in all situations as no, well. No, of I mean, course. I think it's healthy.
1: Yeah, of yeah. course, yes.
0: So, Samantha. Let's start your journey. Crumpsall.
1: Yes. Well, I um, was born in Crumpsall Hospital and that's when my life begun in 1970, the 9th of July, I was born.
0: I'm the 7th of July.
1: Wow, yeah. how fabulous is that? Yeah, so Two cancerians. A- yes,
0: yes. My
1: parents already had um, a son, my brother, Paul, who's 18 months younger than me. Yeah. Um, so we lived in Middleton for about three months. Um, so it, Mum and dad, you know, because it was quite a close age, they were quite busy as mums and dads really. with two young children.
0: Yeah. Yeah, one of them
1: being you. One of them being, of <laughs> course me, yes.. Yeah. And then from there, we um, from Middleton, my parents got a house in Haywood. And they started their life, family life in Haywood with me and Paul. So that's how our family life began, really.
0: Yeah. You started off and in your childhood, you actually started to become ill at quite a young age, didn't you?
1: Yes. Um, well, first of all, I mean, from a very early age, um, I, I had certain health problems where I had had quite a few convulsions. So I was in and out of hospital from the age of four with that. Um, but it was actually when I was aged eight, um, probably for about five months before, and I was bruising quite easily. And one particular time, I was, as, as you are as a child, you know, I was eight, I was boisterous, wanted to play out with my friends. And I was on a bike um, at the top of the hill, near where I lived. And I was going down the hill and I fell off it. My own fault, of course, because I was going too fast. And as I fell off, um, I cut my knee open. And, you know, as a child, I was upset, went um, straight home. And my mum, um, you know, um, put a cold compress on and then um, put a plaster on. You know, it was fine. And there was nothing more thought of it. And then after about 15 minutes, I was back outside causing havoc with my friends. So, you know, things the time were fine and that actual um cut on the knee graze instead of it healing it turned like a black like mesh really and um it wasn't healing which my parents thought well that was a bit strange and I was really really pale in color really pale in color and, you know, there's a few bruises and they were thinking, hmm, right, OK. It was a mess, really. Um, my parents were a bit concerned about that. Yeah. And, um, but you know, I was still quite boisterous in myself. About two weeks after this um, wound wasn't healing, I started to feel terrible. Um, I, w- I, was, I remember I was sweating a lot. I was being sick. Um, and I just felt atrocious, and by that time, my parents...
0: They knew something was wrong at this yeah, point.
1: Yeah. I tried making an appointment with the doctor, the local doctor at the time that were under, and it was snowy. You know them in the 70s when it was so snowy, it was... So, the doctor um, said she couldn't get out, so um, she said, can you bring Samantha up here? So, my dad carried me on his back, and like a piggyback, and... Um, part way up he fell with me because it was so thick so he picked me up again and he carried me and um, got to the doctors and went into her treatment room and the doctor took one look at me and basically said you need to get Samantha home straight away I'm going to ring um, a specialist from the hospital which you know that in itself you know alarm bells from my parents and within about three hours, there was someone come to, to visit me. And um, this um, doctor came and basically said that, you know, we need to, Samantha to go to hospital straight away. So um, I was taken to Booth Hall Children's Hospital, where blood tests were taken. And before, at the time, I had glandular fever. So I was put in isolation, yeah. and um, the blood came back quite quickly. And my parents were brought into a room, and um, the doctor that was under at Booth Hall that day said um, to my parents, "Oh, you know, we've got some really bad news. You know, we've done Samantha's blood blood um, test, and we've um, identified um, a problem with the cells. Um, we do believe it's leukemia."
0: So this is leukemia's. Cancer of the blood. That's isn't it? correct.
1: Yes. Yeah, that's correct. Yes, and I was kept um, in the hospital overnight. My parents were devastated. My mum stayed, and um, the following day we, um, I was transferred by ambulance with my parents up to um, Pendlebury Children's Hospital. Yeah. And there, um, it didn't take long for me to be admitted to Borchardt Ward, which is a cancer ward for children.
0: Am I right in saying, when it comes to cancer, yeah, generally, if you've got cancer localised in one part of your body yeah. and it's in an organ, as terrible as that might be, quite often it can be operable. Yes. When it's in your blood leukaemia, this is the most difficult type of cancer to treat. Of course,
1: that's correct.
0: It's throughout your body, isn't it?
1: You know, it's like you said, it's not just in a localised area. It's actually, you know, your cells developed in your um, bone marrow. And they, these cells, um, they were obviously rogue cells going out into the body. And unfortunately, you know, it was happening to me Um my parents um, were brought into this particular cancer ward. Um, at the time, I remember thinking, God, these people are, you know, children, they look so poorly. Little did I know, you know, I would be facing the same battle and looking the same way. So I, yeah. the specialist um, at the time wanted me to have um, a lumbar puncture and uh, a bone marrow, just to obviously see.
0: Tell us what a lumbar puncture is.
1: A lumbar puncture basically is where um, a large um, needle is actually put into the lower part of your back from the bone marrow, from the bone, it's actually the needles put in there and extracting fluid from it to see obviously what cells, whether there is any problems with um, the cells of the blood. So that was done first. Um, The results came back really quickly and my parents were um, brought in to see the specialist who said, unfortunately, Samantha has a very rare form of leukemia, myeloid leukemia, and it's a chronic form of leukemia. Samantha's chances of survival are zero. What we can do is try and prolong Samantha's life as much as we possibly can. So a form of chemotherapy um, was advised, but they did say it's a form of chemotherapy that we give to adults. Um, and, you know, we've got to be honest with you, you know, the f- side effects are going to be quite severe. Yeah. And, you know, the, because of the severity of, of the cancer that Samantha's has, you know, it's the only treatment option we have for her but we do have to you know be honest here and let you know you know yeah. it's a very short matter of time before the,
0: the thing with chemo goes. is there is no guarantees that's going to extend your life and no the only guarantee is that the quality of life you'll have while you're having the treatment while you're alive yeah could seriously deteriorate your health so it's, it's certainly in that instance it's very debatable about whether you even proceed with the treatment.
1: This is, a, the tragedy at the time was, um, you know, as parents, they didn't have any other option. Yep. Um, my, it, and because of the, um, the specialist at the hospital, you know, my parents couldn't take it out of their hands, the type of treatment that I was going to have. Um, they said, you know, it's something that's got to be done and we need to start treatment straight away um so i was um started on chemotherapy yeah and it wasn't a nice journey by any means you know going from um a a boisterous probably tomboy type of person to actually you know um losing a lot of weight quickly started to lose a lot of hair quickly um and you know I, i was a skeleton of, of myself yeah. within you, a short period of time, really.
0: I mean, we'll get to this, but you are a walking miracle, Samantha.
1: Do you know what? I don't see that. What I see is I was very blessed, and I was truly blessed at the time, to of um, had the, 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 the gift of my parents um, fighting for my survival and the people involved in my journey to recovery.
0: So I'm just going to skip along a little bit here, Samantha. Mm -hmm. So you you had the chemo. Yes. How long did you have chemo for? I'll ask you a few quick fire questions if that's okay. Yeah, of course you can. So how long did the treatment last?
1: Probably about five months.
0: Okay. At the end of that period, did your health then improve?
1: What happened was when I was going through the treatment, um at the time in the hospital my um parents desperately wanted to contact a herbalist now this herbalist my father had seen um for a couple of years when me and my brother were were young you know younger than 8 he'd gone to see this herbalist because my father was diagnosed with ankylosing spondylitis when we were only very little what's that what happens is with ankylosing spondylitis is the immune system kind of attacks bone. And when it attacks bone, that um, inflammation is caused. Then um, fusing over a period of time, bones can start to fuse together. Right. And people that have that chronic form of disease, you know, mil- mobility is certainly affected, especially, right. you know, of the spine, yeah. the neck area.
0: Um, so this is how your father met the herbalist? Yeah, so
1: he met the herbalist before I became ill. Um, and he was—he um, went to see the herbalist and he started treating him for this condition because he was getting lots of flare-ups and he was in a lot of pain. And the herb, he went to see this herbalist was called Mr. Abbott.
0: You could um, almost say, like, thanks, Dad, it was quite handy. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Highly inconvenient for your father, but quite yeah. handy because this bloke was already in your phone book.
1: Yes, he was. And... Um, it. It's strange how things happen in life and how you're blessed to meet people. Um, But unfortunately, when I got um, diagnosed with leukaemia, Mr. Abbott had um, been involved in an accident and he was very poorly um, himself. So at the time, my parents couldn't even get me started on any herbal treatment. When I was first diagnosed, they... um, the only option they had was the hospital, which they knew um the continuing effect of the treatment and how it's massively affecting my body. you know i couldn't t- my body couldn't take any more of this, yeah. and um what happened was um Mr. Abbott became well enough um to see me, but he was still bedridden now he'd heard about my plight um and Mr. Abbott had agreed to see me and i never forget this. Mr. Abbott um, had agreed to see me this particular day and I was, my father um, brought me to see him and he was carrying me in his arms and he lay me down on the bed next to Mr. Abbott and my dad talked to him about the, the treatment I was on and the severity of the blood cancer that I had and he um, immediately wanted a blood test taken at his clinic in Lee Abbots of Lee so a blood test was taken and it was sent over to his clinic for analysis and the results came back quite quickly within an hour or two. And my father brought me home. Mr. Abbott wanted to see what the blood results first before he could even say if there could be anything done for me. So um, my mum and dad received a phone call, and um, that was Mr. Abbott's wife. And she said that Mr. Abbott thought that he could help. And he wanted me to be started on herbal medicine straight away, which he did. And at the time, I was still going through treatment from the hospital. And um, Mr. Abbott said, you know, we have to start Samantha on this treatment straight away. Even though she's having, you know, the chemotherapy, we have to try and somehow get to start having the, the herbal medicine. So, you know, my when I was going back to the hospital for treatments and that it was, oh, I had to stay in hospital for so many days while I was having the treatment, it was like cat and mouse. My father was sneaking me into toilets to have the herbal medicine because obviously it wasn't the dumb thing, herbal medicine.
0: I think the probably as well, the reason why I was so keen for you to start the herbal medicine straight away is two reasons. One, because obviously you've got leukaemia and the cancer of the blood. Secondly, to counteract the effects well that was
1: yes absolutely that's right it was to stop the terrible effects that you know this treatment was doing to my body um so we had we had to my parents you know which were religiously it was three times a day i'd have this particular medicine which doesn't have any side effects and the hospital found out about it yeah and they weren't happy yeah. And basically, they were saying, you know, um, what's this type of treatment that you do that Samantha's having, you know, because she's on this um, the chemotherapy, it could have a, a severe adverse effect. So they wanted it tested in the lab. So my parents happily gave them, you know, sample of the medicine that I was taking, and he, it came back quickly that they, you know, it wouldn't have any effects. The only effect, the terrible effect, was from the chemotherapy. Yep. They said, the, the hospital said, Samantha can keep taking it, but you do realise, you know, you know, the treatment that she's on to try and kill the cancer cells is the chemotherapy, and that's the only one that's going to work. And my um, parents knew um, from, obviously, when I, I first went into the hospital to where I was at, with having the treatment that, you know, well, the only harm that was happening here was the treatment from the hospital that I was having. Um, Anyway, a couple of months went on and my parents were brought in to see the specialist I was under and he said, for my parents to go in and sit down, he said, you know, look, there's nothing else that we can do for Samantha. she still has ten percent blasts of leukemia
0: What does that mean Samantha? what's a ten percent blast of leukemia what's that?
1: So it's ten percent so basically I'd still had leukemia cells yes. within my body um, it's ten
0: percent high low I don't I don't know um what it means.
1: it's still I mean it's still relevant because you've still got cancer cells in the blood and um, but they were saying that it they, you know they got it with all the treatment it had they couldn't kill the um, cancer cells off. Right. So they'd rap- rapidly multiply in the body. Uh, so they said, because we couldn't give you any more, me any more chemotherapy, and the other option of treatment wasn't suitable for myself, the only option was to take me home where I could die around my family. And yeah. they thought I had about three weeks to live. Right. So I was taken home. And um, thankfully, at the time, obviously, my parents were, you know, devastated by the news. But they thought to themselves, well, if Samantha's not having the chemotherapy, that was causing so much damage to the body. The herbal medicine can have time to start treating me. So when my, my parents got the news and my father contacted the herbalist straight away, and, and he this said, guy's name again What's sorry he? Charles Abbott that's it Charles yeah. Abbott yeah herbalist herbalist um, he was a fantastic man Um he the reason I mean I was probably going off the path a little bit by explaining explain a little bit about Mr Abbott Mr Abbott worked down the mines and he got TB thankfully he's seen a herbalist who saved him from TB with herbal medicine and this by saving his life, he wanted to help other people. Yeah. And he trained under the herbalist that actually saved his life. And from there, he went on for many years till the age of 93 in treating patients. He had about 10,000 people or more on his books at his clinic. And people traveled from all over the world to see this amazing herbalist. He'd saved many a life over his lifetime. And I was one of them that he did thankfully save. And I was his last patient as well. Uh-huh. So going back to the terrible diagnosis and being brought home.
0: So at this point, you've just been brought home and yeah. you've been told. About three weeks to live. Yes. And um, you're you're still eight years old at this point. I was nine Nine.
1: by then. I was nine by then. And um, my parents contacted the clinic and Mr. Abbott um, said, we have the time now for the treatment to work without the terrible effects of the chemotherapy. We'll start from now where the herbal medicine can start taking a full effect on the body. He wanted my parents not to worry, but certain things would have to change, in particular, my diet. So no red meat, no dairy products, things like that. So I had lots of fresh fruit, pulses, vegetables, chicken, and certain fish. So that was one thing that totally had to change. And the herbal medicine. Now the three weeks came and went, and five weeks came along, and I, w- I was still alive. Seven weeks went, came, and I was still alive. I mean, my parents would, um, you know, they were they were strict about obviously the, the making sure that I was having the medication at the right time. So I'd have medicines, I'd have lotion, like put on my abdomen, um, my neck, certain areas where I'd have to have that put on. And um, the diet as well. Now, combining all of them together, you know, from that end journey where I should have supposedly passed away, um, I was still there. Can I ask you a couple of questions? Of course you can. Samantha. Of course you can.
0: Do you, this is just as we're going through it now, these are thoughts that have been yeah. triggered. Number one is, what's your diet like now? Do, Do you still look after yourself and adhere to that advice?
1: I do, you know, I do. I do, in respect of herbal medicine, um, I've used it on and off um, for a number of years. Not for, for, for the leukaemia, um, because I was cured of that when I was 14, um, but I have used it for, for other minor things.
0: But I mean, for example, red meat. You don't eat red meat. No, 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 no. So some of this advice, you, I suppose once you've had this health scare... And you get a second chance. Yes. You're going to want to look after yourself. Yeah,
1: of you? course. You know, you're know, you
0: going to have to be a bit more diligent and strict with your diet than other people because yes. of what your body's been
1: through. Yes, I mean, I do. I mean, there has been times where, you know, I've had the cake or, or something like yeah. that, you know, but it's all in moderation. Yeah. You are what you eat. So, you know, if you start putting things into the body, um, too much fats, too much salts, too much sugars, Over a period of time, that has an impact on the body. So by looking after your body, Mm. having a good diet, it does, you know, help you physically, you know. And also, it's not just about the diet, it's also about other factors. So um, regular exercise and meditation and things like that.
0: It's the mind as well. That's what I was just going to say. Yeah, If you consistently eat crap... You yeah. know, lots of sugar or fats, things, mm. certain bad fats, things yeah. like this. You're going to have, especially with sugar, you're going to have these um, blood sugar spikes, these Absolutely. energy levels up and down, and then it yeah. affects your mood, and then you f- don't feel good, and I'm
1: quite lethargic.
0: Yeah, all yes. of these things. So, yeah, definitely. By looking after your diet, which looks after your body, Absolutely. it also looks after your
1: yeah. mind. Of course, it does. It's mind and body. It's mm. about them both.
0: Mm so i'll bring you back to your journey so, you've gone home you're yes. seven weeks in you're still yes. alive at yes. this point then talk us through from there till we get the all clear at 14 yeah you're cured. so this next four or five years
1: well um
0: that was a sorry. well <laughs> <laughs> i didn't mean <laughs> to, <laughs> i
1: didn't mean to sound <laughs> so i <was> i <laughs> like taking a deep breath and i'm speaking um from, like you say, the seven or eight weeks in, um, there was a number of things that happened. Mr. Abbott was obviously treating me. You know, I was still alive. And I um, had actually a, a spiritual journey, would you believe? Okay. Um, I'll go back on to that. I, I went to Lourdes. Um, the local community had paid, had done lots of fundraising, for me when they've heard him apply when I was in hospital yeah. and I, I was taken to Lewards. we
0: were, were you walking about at this point or are you being carried or are you in a wheelchair uh
1: no what happened was <laughs> I went to Lewards and I was quite weak and so some of the hill some of the hills was because it was be quite hilly in lewards um if it was if it was hilly going up i would get carried up. Yeah. Um If it was two on my dad's back or something like that.
0: You've got to be quite weak, though. But you. I was yeah. very, very weak.
1: Yeah. Yes. And we did the talk light like, procession and, and we've seen um, the grotto with Bernadette. So it was a fascinating journey and yeah. it's something I'll never forget. And I don't think my parents will ever forget that journey. And when I come back and I... Was went back to the hospital within a few weeks. That's when the diagnosis was the final diagnosis. You know, Samantha hasn't got long left. And I, I was brought home. And it was about the eight weeks in. Um, You know, I was still alive. And I was at home. And I was, you know, still poorly, you know, because, you know, I was still, I you know, uh, health-wise and, you know... I was by no means out of the woods. I was gravely ill at the time. And i I'll never forget, um, I was unsettled one night. Um, I wasn't well at all that particular night. I wasn't feeling well. I went to sleep and then I woke up and i never forget, there was a, a, a warmth, a light at the end of my room. And I was like looking as a child and I was like looking and this light got brighter and then all of a sudden this figure appeared of a monk yeah. uh, in a, a brown robe with a beard and um it was it was the eyes it had the most bluest eyes that I've, I, that I've probably ever met
0: ever seen in someone Sounds like St Francis of Assisi, this. It was
1: fascinating. Honestly, yeah. it, was, it was fascinating. And um, while I was in Lewis, I was given a locket um, with a piece of a robe from Patrick Peel. And so I had this locket, um, and the warmth that I had, there was a warmth. There was, the room was warm, and I, 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 and it was a, a... Oh, I can't explain it. It was just beautiful moment. And um, I... Then it, the person was this lovely gentleman was there for a couple of minutes and he come to closest to the bed, and he was leaning over and he was looking at me and the warmth I felt in my body was, but it was a gentle warmth, and then this lovely monk walked away, walked to the light, and disappeared, and the following morning, um, uh, and. Oh, my God, I, I slept so well that mm-hmm. night. And the following morning, I woke up, and all I could hear was the birds singing. And um, all I did was I went up to my locket, and um I don't know why, but I opened the locket, and the piece of robe wasn't there. It had gone. Mm-hmm. And I was, oh, I don't know. It felt as though... This person had come to me for some unknown reason and I didn't need I didn't need that piece of the robe. And I kind of somehow, I don't know why, but I somehow accepted that.
0: Mm. It's almost like it came to right, you don't need that anymore. Yeah. You could.
1: Yeah, it was strange. Um and I never forget and I, I told my mum and dad and um that they didn't poo poo it in any way. They they, they just said, well, You know, what a lovely experience that you've had. And I'm sure that's something you'll never forget. And I never have. And um, from there, I continued to get stronger. I was on the herbal medicine. And um, this lady had come to see us, a health visitor. um, And she wanted to know how I was doing. And I, went, I was in the living room at the time and my mum was in the kitchen. She came in and she said hello to me because I was um, lay on the couch. She went in to see my mum and I never forget it. And she said um, to my mum, you do realise Samantha is dying, you know, and you have to prepare yourself for that. But it was quite, um, the way she was speaking to my mum was quite abrupt really. Yeah. And I could hear that. And, uh, you know, I mum obviously realised I could hear that. And so she brought it to the other side of the kitchen. She started talking to her. And um, then um, the health visitor came in and she asked about how I was and um, what was I eating uh, and, and asking questions like that.
0: To be honest, if they think you're dying anyway, you can eat what you bloody
1: like. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? true, it's, yes. Yeah. So it's sad, really. It was really sad. Instead of coming round and just supporting my parents, you know, it wasn't about that. It was like, you know, come on, you know, stop fooling yourself. Yeah. Samantha's going to die. You know, instead of thinking, well, do you know what? As long as she's still here, you know, that's the main thing. And yeah. giving my parents support.
0: It's almost like they sort of okay, let's just get on with this now. Yeah, yeah. And I tell a story, it's from Deepak Chopra, and Mm -hmm. I've read a lot of his books over the past, not recently, but it's a while ago. And it's the story it tells about diagnosis, not prognosis. Mm. And there's a guy, he has football injuries, and he has an X-ray.
1: Yeah.
0: Fast forward 20 years later, and this guy isn't well and he's, he's not feeling great goes and gets an x-ray and they say you've got uh, tumors in yeah. your lungs you've got four weeks to live yeah sure enough he dies four weeks later mm. they then compile and assimilate all his medical records put everything together and yeah. they find the x-ray that was taken 20 years previous when he was in high school when he broke his collarbone and they x-rayed him the tumors were there they'd always oh. been there But until he was told and bought into that prognosis that he was going to die, he coexisted with those tumours without a problem. And that story tells you a lot about when you're diagnosed with something and somebody says, you've got this, this is what's going to happen. Not so. You've got this. There's still infinite possibilities.
1: Absolutely. many
0: people like yourself who have cancer, for example. That's one... one, um, one example where they recover. Yeah. Some recover, some don't. Yeah. At that point, when you've got a diagnosis, it's very possible that you can recover.
1: Yeah, it's of course it is. also
0: possible that you're going to pass pass away or, yeah. you know, be become very ill and die. Mm. It's really important. What you believe at that point is critical. I know from my experience that what you believe will manifest and become your reality.
1: Yeah. So yeah. I
0: think this point in case is they came along and thought, well, hang on, we've been back four times now. She's still here. Mm. Uh, can you hurry up, please? <laughs> That's it's, how it feels
1: in life. It doesn't mean that um, one option of treatment is right for everyone. People's choices in life it doesn't mean if one person does that, that another person should follow and do that. And it's about having choices and um, valuing them choices, but being supported in them choices. You know, when my parents made that choice about me going to see the herbalist, as time went on, the um, hospital, instead of supporting my parents, you know, three months on, I'm still alive, but by this time, I'm getting stronger. And my hair is growing growing you know, coming through nicely. And I wasn't um, bedridden all the time by now. And you would have thought, or my parents thought at the time, that you know the doctors at the hospital would have been fascinated. What a wonderful story! Samantha is still here after going through everything she's gone through. But they, they didn't support my parents with the the, the herbal medicine, yeah. and they basically th- were saying that you know it is just a matter of time. I think before m- Samantha does pass away,
0: they'll go down one or two routes. They'll either say, "Oh yeah, it's because of the chemo,"
1: mm.
0: or they'll say that they'll get annoyed. Because mm-hmm. they'd written you off mm-hmm. and then you've gone down another route, Absolutely. one that they didn't recommend and condone and Absolutely. they won't like it.
1: Well th- that's the problem and that is the tragedy. but um, my pa- father was on the uh, parents Teachers Association at school, you know and um, they'd always abided by the law, never never went questioned anything about Orthodox medicine or anything. And it was only when they had to go through what they did with me. And having orthodox medicine, in particular the hospital, the way they kind of turned against my parents. And they wanted me quite quickly to return back to school. I mean, don't forget, my immune system was shattered. You know, I'm going to pick up um, infection after infection at this point. But no, they were adamant. And um, they wanted... Blood tests to see if there's any damage being done by the herbal medicine. The only damage that was done was the chemotherapy. Yeah. That was the only damage that was done. Yeah. And um, this was the beginning of the battle, the fight my parents had with the hospital that I was under at the time. They um, made it clear. That if my parents didn't send me to school, I would maybe be made a ward of court.
0: It's terrible because now they'd struggle to make this happen now because anybody can homeschool the child. I know. But back then... Yes. You couldn't.
1: No, you definitely couldn't. You know, it was... Or if people did it was very rare, but you know, they, they suffered a difficult time through the education yeah. authorities and they'd be threatened with court. Um, and that's the beginning of their journey. And um, with ours, you know, I was, you know, they just started, they were just, you know, their daughter was sl- only very slowly at the time, you know, I was go- I'd gone from the brink of death to now um, that the, the, the herbal medicine had chance to work and the hospital, you know, no. We want it back in school. Yeah.
0: They don't like it, basically. Um, you're getting better mm
1: -hmm.
0: not by the route that they've prescribed, the way you the treatment they've been given. And it's highly inconvenient. They can't really explain it. It certainly might highlight the fact that radiotherapy wasn't the answer and that herbal medicine was. Yes. They don't want to hear that. And so they're starting to make your life very difficult for your parents. It stinks, doesn't
1: it? Yeah. I mean it sounds awful and I know it's a strong word to use, but it's the truth. You know, my parents were terrorized with social services and the medical profession because I was alive, because I was having herbal medicine. I mean, I was getting stronger and stronger. Um, but they were saying, Get that!" basically because I was surviving, they wanted to take the authority off my parents Because what? Because herbal medicine was working? What crime is there in that? What Mm. crime is it for any parent to want to do the best for their child and to try an alternative treatment? That's clearly working.
0: Yeah, and it wasn't... They didn't suddenly stop your radiotherapy. They did it in conjunction with it.
1: At the time, yes. Yeah.
0: So what's the problem? You know, it's crazy. Yeah. I've, I've wrote in the book about pharmaceutical companies yeah. and some of the things that have gone on in the past and yeah. we won't go into it all here, but one important thing to remember is they are a business yeah. and the medical institutions, NHS, doctors, everybody, they're all hand in glove with these pharmaceutical Absolutely. companies. You know? Absolutely.
1: Yeah.
0: I say I won't go into it now, Yes. but they're a business and they're about money mm-hmm. and radiotherapy is one of a number of treatments that is highly profitable for these companies.
1: Yes. And you know, when I was diagnosed and when I had the treatment and and the herbal medicine started to work, you know, because my parents believed so much in orthodox medicine at the time, you know, they they were shocked. They were shocked what they were putting my parents through. And more importantly, putting me at risk and they even said I mean they even said at one point um well we'll need to do assessments on Samantha to see um whether she's gonna she has any learning difficulties because of the adverse effects from the treatment mm. meaning chemotherapy yeah. um thankfully you know I didn't because of the herbal medicine that I was on but quite early on so within I don't know, five months. My parents had no choice but to send me back to school because the medical profession was saying, if you don't send her back to school, we're going to take her into care, basically, and make a ward of court. So, and that's when the herb medicine would stop. So my parents had to send me back into school and what happened? Infection was picked up quickly. Had to come out of school. Was back at home. I was on herbal medicine, and and the infection settled down. And um, but the medical professional authorities were, you know, they were furious that, you know, I they were, they were taking me out of school again. They were saying, listen, get Samantha back in school. So um, a few months down the line, my parents are trying to fight with them, saying, look, you know, because of immune system, still, we can't take that risk.
0: They're putting it's a terrible situation. Put you back in school, the risk in your life because your immune system's depleted and you're, you're going to get infections yeah, and pick things up. Yeah. Take you out of school and potentially yeah. they'll take
1: you off. And- That's it. <laughs> so this, you know, and this was it. And, you know, I mean, my parents, I mean, the stories, honestly, that happened. Um, One time my dad was in work and, you know, I was at a state, I was about eight months in. Um, by that time, uh, uh, from, the diag- from you know, terminal diagnosis at the very end of life, near as damn it, to, to eight months in. So, my parents had to take me out of school because I got this infection. So, social services turned up at my dad's works. He was doing nights at one o'clock in the morning, one o'clock in the morning. Um, brought my dad outside the, the, at the, um, the gates of where my dad works. The security contacted his department and said people are here to see him. So he had to leave. And basically they were concerned that, you know, um, where's Samantha now? We're very concerned about the, um, the diet she's on and the medication. But you don't do things like that. One o'clock in the morning. Whether that was to frighten dad, I don't really know. It was kind of, um, I mean, I didn't know about that at the time. It was only later, you know, when I was in my teens that this story was told to me. And it kind of, my father at the time thought, well, you know, what do we do? We're going to have to try and put Samantha back in school. So put me back in, I went back in school again, and um, picked up an infection quite quickly. Because there's so many children in the class, It's fine if you haven't got a a low immunity. Of course, it's fine. And I, I, you know, I'm passionate about education, but when someone's not got a, you know, extremely poor immune system, you know, you're you're high risk, going to get the infection. So again, within days, I got an infection and I was chucked out uh, of school. Treated again, and Mr. Abbott said, "Look, if you keep putting Samantha back in school," and she keeps getting an infection, we can't risk putting Samantha's body through more knockbacks with her immune system because we have to be careful of the leukemia. You know, we have to get that under control. otherwise, you know, we're going to take backward steps and we can't risk that. So my dad and mum thought this time, no, we're not doing it. We have to do something. We have to do something. And, um, moving the story on slightly, um, my father, um, was thinking, what can we do? What can we do? And my mum and dad decided the only way to protect Sam, protect her immune system is by having a home education.
0: Yeah. Like a tutor. Yes. So they can't dispute the fact that you're being educated formally.
1: Yeah. Well yeah. that's where the story begins yeah. with the education. Um my parents had to fight for a home tutor. Um, they still grabbed them in that they thought that the only way for me to have a quality of life is to be back around friends as a, and live a normal a life as possible. That's great. Like I've just mentioned if you've got a brilliant immune system, but when you haven't, that's not, not that that couldn't really happen at this stage. So they asked for a home tutor. Um Home tutor was provided uh, for four days. Four days. Yeah. And then they did an assessment and thought that it was best that I returned to school. So my parents were... Um, I mean, the lady that came, she was lovely. You know, there was no issues there. You know, she provided the space to do structured lessons for me. Um, but no. Um, they four days and that, that was what they get the home tut for. And my parents were basically back at square one. And Mr. Abbott said, We you need it's got to be the home got to be home it's the only way forward. And my dad was frantic with worry and my mum was, and they met a lovely lady um, that through chance with knowing another friend really called Andrea. And she lived in Berry, and she was homeschooling a couple of sons that she had. She'd done that for a couple of years.
0: See, what I don't understand is why they've left her alone to homeschool her yeah. kids, but yet they wouldn't leave nope. your family alone. Yes, yes. Doesn't make any sense, to it?
1: Crazy. Well, she'd actually, this lovely lady, Andrea, she'd set up um, Education Otherwise, a group. So for parents that wanted to look at home tutoring the children for for many different reasons. And she she did come up against a brick wall because in the 70s it wasn't the done thing. So she really had to fight for that, for this support group. And thankfully my dad um, met um, Andrea and my dad told her the plight and what was going on with me. And um, she said, listen, you know, this is a support group. If there's any support you need, you know, I'm here for you. And she was instrumental in starting off the journey of home tutoring, home schooling.
0: Yeah, I suppose she'd paved the way to speak to your parents and say, Luke, I've done it. This is how you go about it.
1: Exactly. It was like the ammunition my parents needed um, yeah. because, you know, they were being pulled, put, back to that wall, you've gone against the system and that's a scary thing to say. But we hadn't. The parents were trying to save my life. Mm. That's all they were doing. They had to make these choices because they had no other choices. And I was becoming stronger. I was looking a lot better and there was no suffering. You know, herbal medicine, there was no suffering. Like I'd gone through with the chemotherapy and the horrendous nausea and how it just... Destroys your body. Yeah. Um, so it was, so my parents meeting Andrea, she was a lifeline. She was. Mm.
0: Do you know what I'm staggered about when I hear your story? I'm not staggered that you survived leukemia, mm. but although, because that can happen. Yeah. I'm staggered that you survived the radiotherapy that was for adults. Yeah. Because that basically cooks your body from the inside out. It's terrible.
1: I mean, it was, even to this day, you you kind of, you can never forget. You can never forget. I mean, it was horrific. There's no other word for it. It was horrific.
0: There is one thing. This is a a miraculous healing miracle machine. Put the right things in it, surrounded with the right things. And it can heal almost anything.
1: Exactly. Especially
0: when it's a young machine as
1: well. Yes. You yeah know,
0: and it just shows you and I'm not talking about the leukemia I'm mm-hmm. talking about the radiotherapy yeah. just shows you that this this machine this body this gift we've got can it's incredible yeah it's incredible
1: it's so incredible you know how it can heal mm. and it can um you know I met some amazing souls in that cancer ward when I was in there could you talk in 6 months say Hmm. Long period of time, and I never forget it. There was a lovely girl called Donna, and she had myeloid leukemia, so we were both you know going through this horrific journey. She was unique, and I was blessed to have met her and there was another lady, um called Jan and she, her parents didn't visit her at the hospital very often. When she did manage to go home for weekends from in between the treatments, she used to have to look after her family, um, her sisters and brothers a lot. So my parents kind of took her under, like made a big fuss of her. Jan used to, when we were in that ward, She even though she was battling, she would always come over and stroke your head and she was amazing. She was so beautiful, such a beautiful soul. And, and, and she died and it... it it's stories like that you'd never forget, because when you're at the worst in your life and you meet the most beautifulest of people in your life, that give you that strength. It's give me the will. I'd say the will. Yeah. To 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 keep fighting. It's not just the journey. What the story wasn't just about me. It was about them beautiful children in that cancer ward with me, and how they. Even though they're going through their own battles with everything they were going, you know, they helped each other. They helped me. I was there for them. Jan was like a, a, a little miniature mum, and, and sadly, she died. Donna, the other young girl that I was literally next bed to, I never forget it. I, this was about a year into of, of the. You know, having herbal medicine just on its own, you know, my hair was all back and I, I, I looked really well. I'd gone for a blood test because when you um, have cancer, so it'll go from uh, once a month to, for so many months and to three months, you'll go for blood tests back. Then it'll go to yep. six months and then once a year for five years. So I was back anyway at the hospital, and I used to be terribly frightened of going back into that hospital because of what I went through. I I felt nauseated just thinking about it. I used to dread like going for my appointments because I was I was just petrified. I come out of um, to see the um, the doctor, um, and he checked checked my lymph nodes and things like that just to see whether there was any swellings in my lymph nodes and um, he said we're just waiting for the blood test so we went back into this other room and at the side there's the side was when people are really poorly yeah. um go into i turned around and i looked and i had to go close because it was like all glass round and i had, i looked in and it was my beautiful friend Donna, and she was i knew she was really 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 ill mm. and um and I, I never forget her eyes, just looking. Certain things you just don't forget. Yeah. A couple of days later, she passed away.
0: Yeah. Well, it's not her long you're here for. No. You know, the the number of lives you can touch can be tenfold for a yeah. child, you know. So, yeah. And part of her journey um, was probably to connect with you, mm. you know, to guide you.
1: Yeah. It's just things like that that make you determined, just keep going, keep yeah. going, never give up, keep going. And I think that's always been my philosophy in life. No matter what happens in your life, you know, you've got these beautiful souls that were only on this earth for a very, very, very short time, but they touched the hearts of so many people and I was blessed to be one of them.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that message, keep moving forward, Yeah. Keep moving forward, never Mm. give up. Keep going, keep going, keep going, always.
1: Yeah, definitely.